0: I never told no one that my whole life I've been holding back. Every time I load my gun up so I can shoot for the star, I hear a voice like, Who do you think you are? All righty, another day, another episode. And sure, I'm biased. It's my favorite podcast because it's my podcast. And you know what? Already hit 100,000 downloads. Not bad for a kid out of Miami. Well, I'm honored because I have a best selling author. Not only is he an Amazon best selling author. But looking at his notes, he actually beat Bernie Sanders. And anybody that beats Bernie Sanders in any category is a friend of mine right off the bat. Fellow SEC guy, couldn't get couldn't get into LSU, so I guess he decided to go to Tennessee instead. <laughs> Golfer, also known as the affiliate guy, Matt M- Matt McWilliams, great book. Turn your passions into profits. He'll help you create a lifestyle. You'll love by just turning your passion into profits. He's also known as the affiliate guy, which I got to talk to you about it because it's abstract to me. I know a little bit about it. It's like the triangle offense when it comes to, you know, I know that's what, what what Phil Jackson runs and I can say he runs it, but we'll talk more into it. How's it going, brother? Welcome to the show.
1: Omar. Wow. Thanks for having me, bud.
0: Dude, I you. <laughs> Your people booked this out like months and months ago. Literally, they, they must have known I was gonna still be alive or my podcast was gonna be well. And I kept on getting emails and people like, thank you for having, thank you for having Matt. I'm like, I haven't had him yet. He said he's still in demand, it's like a hundred days out, three months uh, out, next quarter out. So how's it going?
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, we have, we're beating Bernie, which is always fun. That's one of the few things Hillary Clinton and I have in common. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that was kind of cool though we saw that that was on barnes and noble on their website and we were i was like the number two business book or something right behind i don't even remember who we were behind some other book and i took a screenshot of that and it was like uh our uh our graphics guy did you know the bernie meme where he's sitting at the inauguration like on the folding chair looking like he you know he'd rather be anywhere else but right there with his mittens on and he designed a meme where it has Bernie holding our book, you know, in that. And it kind of kinda of had like a little mini viral moment there. It was like beating Bernie Sanders, you know. We're like how he got in the business category is beyond me. That's a whole different topic that we could get into another day. But uh yeah, it was that was kind of cool. <laughs> is
0: your book economically
1: viable? That's what I need to know. Well, just to be clear, just to be clear, you know. Think his book is something like something about being anti-capitalist. This book is very much a capitalist book, you know, the idea of turning your passions into profits because like we're all passionate about something, but if you're not making any money from it, you're eventually going to burn out. Like that's one of the whole premises of the book, Omar, is like the idea. So it's very much a capitalist book. You know, I mean, this isn't a an economics podcast, but like the whole idea that you could have something that you're passionate about that makes a difference in people's lives. And the only scorecard we have in business is, is financial, you know, like how did we do better this year than last year? Because we made more money. That's an indication that we served more people, you know, and that's the whole premise of it. It's not just about the profits. If, if I wanted to be just about the profits, it would just be called how to make a lot of money online. You know, it's not, it's not about that. There are other ways to make a lot of money online. I am particularly interested in serving people who have a passion, who have a message, who have an idea, who are out there trying to impact you know, society. And, you know, for some people that become a multimillionaire, that's great. That's great. That's not what the book's about. It's about building a profitable, sustainable business that you can go full-time with. And that means you serve more people. I just, he and I happen to differ in that. I just don't think that, you know, you should do that for free or, you know, all your money should go to the government. So
0: there. (laughs) Or share your wealth, because I'm sure Bernie, Bernie was like, oh, all this money, you know, that's the biggest misconception. That that's called marketing 101. Because yep. if anybody looked at, at Bernie's holdings, I mean the guy, the guy lives off of Lake Champlain. I'm I am i have been to Vermont. Beautiful place. It's
1: a nice area, especially in the fall. Nice <laughs> area.
0: But you know, everybody sees the viral. Oh my gosh, he has little seat on Southwest Airlines. It's like, you guys don't think that might be staged? <laughs>
1: Well, at least he got a flight on Southwest Airlines, you know, true. as we're recording this, apparently that's a big issue. So,
0: (laughs) and I love your title because it fits right into what if it did work, because I believe everybody has a superpower. Everybody is passionate about something. But the thing is, everybody's like, oh, they love that the the moniker side hustle. They don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. They've heard about it. Or, you know, hashtag, because everybody's into the hashtags. Yeah, Why not turn your passion into profits? We all have a superpower. We are all good at something. Now, mm-hmm. when I tell people, yes, don't have it be like your primary business. Like, my two passions are snowboarding. Clearly, in South Florida, you know, having a Burton store, you know, having a, a snowboard rental, it really wouldn't jive, really wouldn't work. And yeah. two... LSU. I just got back from watching them kill Purdue. If I had an apparel shop that was LSU, yeah, we have alumni, but not enough to pay the outrageous rent. But sure. you're right. Why can't I do a side hustle online? One mm-hmm. uh, anything online, brick and mortar, 20 years in brick and mortar. It's a pain in the ass, especially when it comes to the landlord, when it comes to the municipalities with their hands out. I mean they're, they're worse than, than friggin' Bernie. Any side of a profit, both your landlord wants an extra cut. They, they, they want assessments. They want this. They want that. I, I grew up, well, 20 years ago, I didn't have the luxury of creating anything online because it was dial up. It was burr, burr, burr. AOL. There was nothing really yeah. outrageous. But now, I mean, clearly, why not have, create a side hustle? passion into profits.
1: I mean, I've said it many times, like the entire, this this book 20 years ago wouldn't have worked, probably wouldn't have worked 12 years ago. You know, it's really only over the past eight to 10 years that this, that, you know, a book like this would even matter. So I've been saying, you know, it's, this book's been in me for eight years. I finally just got it out into the world now, you know? The reality is, you know, like I read about in the book, one of the lines in the book that's really stood out. A lot of people have said this is where I say, you know, it has never been easier to get noticed in all of human history. It has never been easier to get noticed. All right. Like just the ability to get noticed has never been easier. But standing out has never been harder. And there's a correlation between those two. So, like, you can go post, on, you can be a nobody and go post on Twitter and 30 to 50 people can see it. In a matter of seconds, you know, we all have enough connections with our extended family and, and just our friends that anybody can get noticed. And then maybe just maybe that post will take off and another 50 to hundred people will see it. If there are thousand people see it, we call it going viral. And we've all experienced that people have had that happen. There are nobody and 15 million people know their name 24 hours later. That was impossible. It was impossible for 50 people to know your name you know, a hundred years ago. Like if you look back even 150 years, I mean, that is such a blip in human history, regardless of how long you believe earth has been here. 150 years is like, you know, me snapping my fingers in relation to my day. It is a blip in history. 150 years ago, nobody outside of your County knew who the heck you were. 99% of the population. If you weren't like an elected official or a famous author, nobody knew who you were outside of your County. But today, it has never been easier to get noticed, but it's never been harder to stand out. And so like, yeah, this book, I mean, it would have made no sense if I'd written it 15 years ago. People would have been like, this this is all stupid. What are you talking about? You know, like none of this stuff, the ability to do this doesn't exist 15 years ago. But today it has opened up you know, a whole new world. And, and so one of the things that, you know, I write about is like today, it's all, it's all about messaging messages, right? We're all messengers. Messengers are the ones who are defining the new economy. You know, the thing about it, like if you haven't woken up to the reality that the economy is drastically changing, it is all right. The economy has changed since you and I started recording this podcast, Omar, like things are changing so fast now. So it's about the message and the book hinges on one belief that the world needs your message. The world needs your message, but we are not going to wait passively or patiently for it. We're not going to sit by and wait for you to get out and actually get your message into the world. We're going to move on without it. We need it, but we're going to move on without it. So what that means is we're going to go find somebody else and that someone else might not be the perfect person for me. Maybe you're a single mom and your audience is going to be other single moms, but there's no other single mom with your message but we're going to go find somebody else. So they go find a, you know, a married mom, or they go find a guy or somebody that's got a similar message and they are, they're now attracted to them. So the world needs your message, but we're going to move on without it. And that's really ultimately the whole, you know, premise of the book. And then of course, we go through all the phases of getting there and getting that message out. Amen. when it comes to the message that the
0: whole, I mean, think about it. You and I would have never been able to write books because just 20 years ago, you would have to be Stephen King. You, mm. you would have to have a name. You, yep. you would have to be slinging manuscript after manuscript, trying to get something published. And people don't understand, man, we are living in an amazing time. And you're right. We all have a message. But most people are just focused on the silliness. Man. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You have thousands. You have a, we all have a captive audience. Why yeah. Why is your message of dysfunction, of toxicity? Why is your message? Get it if if you're a lobbyist when it comes to political posts. I get it if you're trying to run for a cabinet position or an ambassadorship. But really, why are you, we are in a 50-50 world right now, especially in this country. Why are you going to want to piss off other people? Why don't you want to unite people by having an amazing message, an amazing message of growth, an amazing message that you can Mm. put out there that can literally change the trajectory of your, of your life by, by, by having something positive to say, by selling something, by connecting with people towards something that can actually solve someone's problem.
1: No, so true. I actually write about the book, like, one of the ways that we can stand out and create, you know, one of the ways that we can be a champion for our audience's cause to be the hero to them. You know, there's a couple concepts in there, you know, uh, creating a common, common enemy, you know, is one. These are things that have worked for thousands of years, you know, creating a common enemy, being polarizing and even controversial, being polarizing or controversial doesn't mean that you necessarily have to Uh, you know, be mean, just to be clear. We think, oh, polarizing, controversial, that means you have to be mean. No, it's about taking a stand. You know, it's about taking a stand. Like, okay, we talked about earlier, like I've clearly stated, uh, I'm a capitalist. I believe that businesses should be rewarded financially. If you don't believe that, if if you sincerely in your heart don't believe that, I'm not here to say you're a terrible person. I actually believe that, you know, I'm one of those weird people who believes that people who disagree with me politically aren't necessarily bad people. You know, people who disagree, like who I I stand here and believe this. I don't necessarily believe that everyone in the opposition is just a horrible human being and they're bound for, you know, for the gates of hell. Like, that's not what I believe. I believe they believe what they believe and they're probably sincere about it. And they're most of the time a halfway decent human being. Now that said, when I'm polarizing and I take a stand, okay. For instance, like look at it from just a pure business standpoint, right? When I'm polarizing, And I talk about how so many people, there are people out there who are spreading the message that you have to wait a certain amount of time to monetize your platform. And you have to give away content for months or even years before you can ever make a financial offer. And I I talk about, and I show them, subjectively or objectively, sorry, objectively, how wrong that is and how the research shows otherwise, I'm taking a stand that is somewhat controversial and somewhat polarizing because I'm saying other people who teach this stuff are teaching you the wrong thing. Now, am I saying they're terrible people? No, they probably come from a good place. That's what they think is right. They just happen to be objectively wrong because the data shows otherwise. And so when I say that, I know I'm taking a controversial stand and I know that some people are going to go, that guy's not for me. That guy's not for me. Totally cool with that. So I think there's, you know, what I see a lot to your point is that, you know, people are like, well, you know, I don't want to be controversial. I don't want to turn off the 50%. But the reality is you're going to have to do that. Like if you're going to attract the people that are going to be attracted to you, you have to be willing to repel other types of people, even from a, from a niche standpoint, you know, the very beginning of the book, we talk about getting clear on who you serve, right? Who do you actually serve in order to get clear on who you serve? You also have to also have to be clear on who you don't serve. So if you serve, you know, single mothers, Coming out of a divorce, that's your audience. There's probably, I'm gonna guess, five million of them a year or two million in the year. It's a lot of people, pretty broad niche when you think about it. A million people, even is a broad niche, in just in the United States. If that's your audience, then who are you clearly saying? Not not my audience. Every man, so that's 50% of the population right there. Everybody who's never been married, that's another 25% of women, I guess. People who don't have kids, they just got divorced maybe 18 months after getting married, never had kids. Okay, that's not your audience. And it's probably not, in this particular example, probably not people who are getting divorced after the age of 60. Because yeah, they might be parents, but they're not like what you would call a single mom when they're 67 years old and their kids are grown up. So you are clearly saying, all of you people, you're not my audience. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually the best way to to get started, to get very, very clear And kind of dig in and get small. I talk about getting painfully, like niching down to the point where it hurts a little bit because you've got to niche down to the point where you go, oh my gosh, is that almost too small of an audience? Am I even going to have anybody? This hurts a little bit. Then you super serve them. And from there, you can expand a little bit over time. Do you think people
0: are afraid to niche down like that because of scarcity? They believe they want to be as vanilla as possible. They want to be as vague as possible. Because they they believe that if if they are a niche, if if they do have a voice, if they are unique, they might lose people. I mean,
1: yes, but okay. And 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 they're afraid, they're afraid of, you know, it's the whole big fish in a small pond, small fish in a big pond thing. You know, if if I can if I can capture, you know, for instance, in my market, if I can capture five percent of my big target market, oh my gosh, you know, that's half a million people versus capturing 20% of a smaller market that's only 300,000 people. Which one sounds better? Well, the half a million. Couple of problems with that. Number one, it's a lot harder to capture a small percentage of a really big audience because you're, you're not standing out at all. And number two, even so, when I capture a small percentage of a bigger audience, even if it's a higher number of people, my level of intimacy with those people is, is looser. I have a looser connection with them. So they're going to, which just from a pure business standpoint, if we just cut right to the chase, I'm going to have a a less of a connection with them, which means I'm going to make less money. They're ultimately going to buy less stuff. You know, if we just really skip all the other things and do, you know, the 20 minute explanation, they're going to buy less because they don't feel as much of a connection with me. And it's, it is a scary thing because, you know, it's like, okay, what would you rather sell toilet paper or sushi? You know, roughly 75% of the population is disgusted by sushi. That's, I love sushi, but 75% of people will never eat sushi. Everybody uses toilet paper, as we found out in 2020. <laughs> you know, uh, but even then, if you like, okay, I'm gonna manufacture toilet paper. But if you think about this, I, I did this example recently and it blew me away because I didn't even think about this. I always use toilet paper as like the example of something that everybody buys, right? First of all, there's different types of toilet paper. You know, when you are when you're young and you're struggling economically, you might not buy the really nice toilet paper just be, you know, let's just be honest. Okay. If you're desperate, i.e. 2020, you would have used any type of toilet paper, you know? So think about that. Like it's the weirdest example, the most commoditized item on earth. Secondly, different types of toilet paper, like you're selling it to different audiences. If you run a hotel, you are buying toilet paper by the millions versus somebody buying it by the tens or twenties, different audiences. So if your audience, if you're making toilet paper and you're specifically targeting an audience of hotel owners or people who buy for hotel chains, very different transaction. So even then we're niching down. And so you have to think about it in terms of that, not necessarily the toilet paper example, but think about like, okay, really, really, who is your audience? Can you get more specific to the point where you can develop a more intimate connection with them? So that example earlier, it's like, again, it's single moms who recently went through a divorce. You could just say, well, I'm in parenting, help parents. Well, that's a pretty big niche. But then what kind of parents? Well, moms. Okay. What kind of moms from there? Well, they're going to be, you know, probably 25 to 45 years old. Okay. And they just went, okay, now we've got it narrowed down. Even in the parenting niche, like the broader parenting niche, when I think about everybody I know, and I've worked with four clients in the parenting niche uh, very directly over the past five years, you've got one Debbie Steinberg, her audience is specifically what she calls twice exceptional children. Parents of children who are incredibly bright, but have some sort of what most would define as a learning disability, the ADHD, autism spectrum, you know, Asperger's, stuff like that, right? Uh, Jason and Cecilia Hilke, it's more about parents, you know, who are looking specifically, their their niche that they're doing is focused on people who are really into like the brain science and understanding how their, you know, their children work and getting very specific about behavioral issues you know, focused on, on the brain science side of things and understanding their children and things like that, developing a plan of communication for their children. And you think about that, like it could be all parents, but with Debbie, if you're, if your kid's kind of of average intelligence and doesn't really have any behavioral issues, she's not for you. But if you do, she, if your kid is super smart and has behavioral issues, this is your person. She is the go-to person for that. So that's what you want to think of is like, what can you be the go-to person on?
0: exactly i done video after video after video of that if not everybody is like a starbucks guy yeah not, not everybody is a disney world fan not everybody is an no. apple product fan they know it they don't care it just you just want to niche down you just want to create raving fans yeah and that's you the key want to keep those raving fans happy Yep. Business 101. Marketing 101. Now, that's any business. I don't care if it's brick and mortar. I don't care if it's a publicly traded corporation. I don't care if it's a side hustle. I don't care if it's the person that has that moment, hits their head, finally realizes they do have a talent, goes online, buys your book, and go, oh, my gosh, I can actually make money. I can actually... Subsidize the horrible stock market for the past <laughs> 18 months. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can subsidize you know, the cost of inflation, because we can all talk, we can all, all you know, play the Tanya the Harding, Nancy Kerrigan, "Why me, why me, Why me?" and said, "Get off your butt." you know <laughs> I mean, maybe it's logic, maybe on common sense. But yeah, I, I'm looking at the notes. I'm looking at, you know, turning your passion into profits because all I hear from so many people is, oh my gosh, The since you're we speaking about toilet paper, the price of toilet paper from just last year. It's like, okay, the price of going out. I'm sure you hear it like constantly from yeah. everybody. I get it. After the 1,000th time, yes. Sushi costs more. Yes, even the McDonald's value meal is not a value anymore. What are we going to do? Are we going to just bicker back and forth or clearly go out there and do something because right now what you're offering is a solution to a major problem and like that. Because before we didn't have that. Before yeah. that you and I went were in school, we had to do the Dewey Decimal system. There was no <laughs> information superhighway, right? Even personal or business development meant, yeah, you could have this book, find it somewhere, order it, and maybe a month from now will come. If yeah. you're suicidal and you need personal power, part two, one or two or whatever from Anthony Robbins, it would take forever to get to you. Now we have or we can find the answer to any problem. It's just though, unfortunately. We would mm-hmm. rather stew. We would rather, oh gosh, I yeah. remember when we could buy a hamburger for 99 cents at McDonald's. Okay, well, you can't now. Do something about it.
1: Yeah. One of the things that that ties in really well, because was talking about like championing a cause. Uh, and you mentioned just, you know, it's it's really easy for people to get upset about it. And I think part of that ties back to fear, you know, when, when, uh, so chapter, me think six is all about championing a cause, right? How, like being the hero to your audience, right? Something like we all need a champion, right? People want you to be the champion. They want you to stand up for them, you know, affirm their beliefs, defend their cause. That's what like the hero is. And I remember we have a, a client who said, uh, like Matt, his name's Adam lean. He was like, I help accountants. Like how in the heck is that heroic? How do I become a champion to that? And I was like, "Dude, you told me when we started working with you that you help your average client reduce their workload by like ten to twenty percent and make an extra ten to twenty percent you know money. Forget about the second part, like what does an extra say twenty thousand dollars a year do? I mean that's pretty heroic to help people make twenty thousand dollars a year more. I said they're spending an average of five to ten hours more per week with their family. Why don't you go ask their kids, their spouse? if what you're doing is heroic, why don't you go ask the kid whose dad makes it to all of his games now, even during the busy tax season? Why don't you ask the wife who goes out on a date night every month, even in the busy tax season with her husband, and tell me if what you do is heroic or not. But in that chapter, I talk about, so the first thing you got to do to champion a cause, you got to make it clear that you understand them. You got to be able to you know be relatable, basically. The second one is you got to ease their fears. So when we're in this time, Uncertainty of fear. Like I always used to talk about the Great Depression. Like I've been talking about easing their fear since 2015. And I talked about how we, you know, we've got to be able to, like, you know, it's when you're, when your people are scared, it's almost unimaginable to think that there's even, there's, there's a solution to anything, let alone your solution. That's what fear does to us, right? The faster you can ease their fears, the sooner your followers will begin to feel that there's hope that there actually might be a solution. And I always talked about the Great Depression. And I talked about how during the Great Depression, you know, there were, back then it was mostly men in the workforce. And I said, you know, there were millions of men who wouldn't even go look for a job. There were jobs available. This is the funny thing. It's not like every job was filled during the Great Depression, but they were just so scared. They were paralyzed. Well, in early 2020, we suddenly had a new example that, you know, we were the first generation potentially since, you know, the early stages of the Cold War who lived in a time of abject fear. You know, if you think about it, like the 70s, there wasn't a genuine fear. 80s, there wasn't fear. 90s, there was no fear. Like we've had recessions. We've had, you know, things like that. But there was not a time when millions upon millions of people were genuinely terrified for weeks. And regardless of where you stood on it, most people for the first couple of weeks were freaking out. You know, like I didn't know if it was safe to pump gas. Like, really, did I have to put on gloves to pump? I had no idea. We didn't know. We didn't know what we didn't know. And there was this sense of fear. The sooner you can ease people's fears and get them past that, that area, the sooner they realize there can even be a solution. So as marketers, as business owners, it's our job. That's part of being a champion to their cause, Omar's. we've got to put those fears to us. Whatever fears they have, particularly as it relates to your you know your niche like go back to the parenting example they just don't feel like they're qualified they're that they can even they they just think that they're idiots there's no way they were not meant to raise tiny humans great let's put those fears to rest and then once we do that we we do a few other things to champion their cause we absolve them from blame you know we need to take the blame off their shoulders and put it on past solutions it's not about I hear a lot of people like, well, what about personal responsibility? No, they're responsible. They're just not to blame. Most of the time, the reason, again, to use the parenting example, the reason why people suck at parenting is because nobody taught them how to do any better. So does that mean they're not responsible? Of course not. They are responsible. Are they to blame? Very different. I would say, no, they're not to blame. We need to learn a better way. And so then we go on from there. You got to spark their imagination. See what's possible. We talked about creating a common common enemy. You know that us versus them mentality. There's a ton more in the book that we won't get into, but that's the big one. There is you've got to ease their fears first, because if you don't do that, then they're gonna they're gonna be paralyzed and not able to take any action whatsoever.
0: Analysis by paralysis. That's why you yeah. see so many people. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for the perfect time. Or There's I, no
1: perfect I, time I, yeah, ever to I'm do anything.
0: In, I'm planning. I, I'm I'm in yeah. the planning stages. I'm taking down notes. So, you know, it's such a load of hogwash, man. And oh. hey, I first thing I'm going to do because you know I believe in the cause. We all need multiple flows of income. We're mm-hmm. capitalists. You know that clearly. You could tell that by the 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 first thing that that I did was take a. A shot at at the great senator in Vermont. <laughs> so I we're either growing or dying, man, and yeah. economically is the same way. So to me, I, I will buy a book. I will push it way past you know our our podcast episode because I believe mm-hmm. everybody needs more money. Everybody needs more income. We can't live in this Dave Ramsey world, especially well. I live here in South Florida. How much yeah. more can I save by like turning off the electricity or you know, <laughs> especially in the summer? I mean, it's ninety now in, in January. It was like 88 in Orlando, which was unheard of yesterday for the bowl game. It's like, yeah. oh man, you we can't save. We can't cut, 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 cut. You know, why don't we just increase, increase, increase money? Why? money is in abundance
1: man we need to
0: yeah. quit living scarcity towards everything well
1: that, and, that's and why just to just real quick order. to touch on that because you know my wife used to work for dave you know uh, because she left there about 10, 11 years ago now uh you know that's the thing that most people miss about not to get off on that rabbit hole but his message is like he says the number one your number one wealth building asset or your number one wealth building tool is your income you know he does not say like only cut. He also talked like you got to make more money, you know, and most people immediately think like, oh, I got to make more money. That means I need more jobs. And even he would be the first to say, not necessarily
0: smarter, no. not harder. Yeah. work smarter. Exactly. Not harder. Exactly. You, and you and I and, have never said, hey, let your side hustle is Uber. Your, your side hustle is yeah. go out there, you know, Postmates or one of these delivery companies for food. No, it's, it's about, you know, use your intelligence, use your passion to exactly
1: more money. Yeah. And we all have something like that. That's the thing is like most people just don't give themselves enough credit so much of the book. I mean, there's a lot of tactical, there's a lot of strategy. We walk you through step-by-step, like the things I just talked about tons of step-by-step, you know, how do we capture attention? How do we actually convert people into subscribers, build an email list? How do we, you know, take a, build a community and, and become a champion for their cause. All those things. You talked about creating raving fans. We can talk about that. Like there's a whole chapter about creating raving fans in there. And then ultimately monetizing all this stuff in the book, but so much of it, I would say a good 25% of the book is mindset because there's a lot of mindset issues around things like starting a business, you know, gosh, who, who am I to even do these things? I don't have letters behind my name, you know, I'm not qualified. I don't have enough experience, you know, don't have all the things, right? Like, one of the, my favorite stories in the book, Omar, is a lady who's in the, uh, so another parenting person. And this lady was, she signed up for our mastermind. And the final step in our joining our mastermind is that I do an interview with you just to make sure you're going to be a good fit. Like, you know, are you going to get along? Cause it's only 12 people in the mastermind. Are you going to get along with the other people and, you know, not be a disruption or something like that or be like the outlier? We want a variety of people. It's about half female, half male. There's a variety of races in there, but we still want to be fairly homogenous in terms of like, you know, not like making sure everybody gets along. Right. And so I do this interview with her and this lady, she has two autistic children, which is really rare to have two autistic children. And she's like, I want to, I want to be in the, I want to be in the parenting niche. I want to help other families with autistic children. She's like, I just don't feel qualified. She's like, I'm ready to sign up, Matt. I I get it. I want to learn how to build my email list. I want to learn how to do all the marketing stuff, but I just don't know that I can do this. Maybe I need to do something else. There's other stuff I'm passionate about, you know, like gardening and stuff like that. And I'm like, why don't you think you're qualified? She's like, well, I don't have the letters after my name. I don't. I didn't go to Harvard. I dropped out of community college. I said, but you told me you have two autistic children. She's like, yeah. I said, and you haven't killed them. <laughs> She's like, no. And I don't know what made me think of this, but I said, you ever thought about killing him? She said every day. And I don't mean like, she's like thinking up ways to actually murder her children. Just to be clear, it was a weird question to ask. I I almost regretted asking it as soon as I asked the answer that came out was like every day. And I said, but you haven't. She's like, you're right. I said, as a matter of fact, you told me that they're pretty well adjusted for two autistic children, 13 and 10 years old. They make great grades. They have friends. They play sports. They have a, you know, they, they don't have a lot of the quirks that a lot of autistic children have. They're doing pretty well. And would you say that maybe it's because you've done something right? And she said, well, maybe I Said, so why don't you just share your experience? Why don't you just share your life with your audience? Now this part's not in the book. That story is in the book, but the end of it's not in the book. Cause I wrote the manuscript a year and a half ago. And when you work with a big publisher, it takes forever and a day to get the thing actually, you know, to print. And so, about six months ago, I got an email from her. She has over ten thousand YouTube subscribers now. She's making about four or five thousand dollars a month from her platform. She's still doing it part time. She's still working full time, but she's making almost four or five thousand, that's forty eight to fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year right now from her platform. And she had this one video. Omar it was the most amazing thing. She had this one video where she talked about how to travel with autistic children. I didn't know this until she told me, but it is a nightmare for a lot of them because you're taking a kid who's, whose life is built on routine and you're pulling him out of routine. You're waking him up early. You're putting him in bed late. You're putting him on a metal tube and flying through the air at 35,000 feet with a hundred other people crunched in, in this little sardine can. Like I don't have autism and it, drive me, it drives me crazy. It's one of the reasons why I hate flying. Like I don't like being that close to other people. Pre-COVID, after COVID, doesn't matter. I just don't like being that close to other people for that long in a tube flying through the air with my ears popping. And so you've got this autistic child and all these things, these new things are happening and it can set them off. And then the parent is thinking about this for days in advance. So they're a bundle of nerves. And so they're uptight and that energy the kid feeds off that energy and it just may, it keeps making it worse. It's a vicious cycle. The, the parents are freaking out that the kid's going to explode. And then everybody's going to look at them and judge them and say, they're a terrible parent. They're going to end up with the FAA having to arrest them in the middle of the air. Like these are the things that go through their minds. And she recorded a video about how to travel with autistic children, how she's been able to travel across the country, across oceans with autistic children. And one lady left a comment. I'll never forget it. She left on there. She said, I had an autistic child. He's seven years old. We haven't left my county in four years because I've been too afraid to travel. I just watched your video and I booked a flight to Hawaii and they're going to travel together. And when we think about like that right there, you don't, you don't feel like you're qualified. You don't have the like, you know, the assets, the experience, all of these things. You can use those things to your advantage, but you can also let the lack of them become a disadvantage. None of that stuff matters if you actually just get out tell your story talk about how you've been able to do something and then turn that into a profitable business
0: exactly you know i can talk to you for hours and hours and i know we're only here for a short amount of time <laughs> this is and you know i'm selfish so i i, I need to ask about yeah. this i know you're the affiliate guy and so many people It's a vague term. They don't know Mm -hmm. what affiliate marketing means and all that. Can you clue us all into that? Because I know that's another way. That's another way of creating a side hustle as well.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah, I am the affiliate guy. You know, that's what the podcast is named. The whole brand is around that. So naturally, when we talk about turning your passions into profits... The longest chapter in the book is step nine, which is commit to monetizing. All the chapters, all the steps begin with the letter C. So we clarify who we help, we commit to leading. We talked about some of the other ones, creating raving fans, all those things, condition your audience. and so we get to commit to monetize. So not surprisingly, it's the longest chapter in the book because I have so much to say. And I believe that the way to start off Monetizing is with affiliate marketing. I teach affiliate marketing. I am the affiliate guy. I've worked with over three hundred thousand affiliates, almost four hundred thousand now. I've run some of the biggest affiliate programs in you know in tons of different industries. I don't believe that one hundred percent of your revenue, of your income, should come from affiliate marketing. It should be a part of your income, but early on, it should be one hundred percent because there's this this lie in the kind of the online platform world that says that uh, you have to wait to monetize. You know, you have to wait to monetize. You go, you have a small audience. You got to wait to monetize. Actually, when you're starting off and you've got a tiny audience, that is the perfect time to start monetizing because nobody's paying attention to you. You only have 52 people in your audience. If you screw up, who cares? If you run a bad campaign, who cares? It costs you $300. No big deal. Right. But there's so many people. They're like, well, you got to have X number of followers. You got to have Y number of years, Z number of we're doing algebra or are we, is this a business? And ultimately it's all about mindset. I talked about that. Like how you view making money from your platform, from your passion is what determines how much you make and how much of an impact you can have. And so many people, they teach Omar, like when you start a platform, you got to give, 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 just content, content, content. No, don't ever ask for a financial transaction. Don't ask for a sale that sets you up for burnout because you can have all the passion in the world. I've been there, done that. I was changing people's lives. I was having an impact. I would get emails, Matt, you've changed my life. Matt, you saved my marriage. Matt, you helped me do this. You, you know, Matt, you literally saved my life. Like I didn't commit suicide because of your content. This is, you know, 10, 12 years ago. I wasn't making any money from it, Omar. And here's the thing. When we started having kids and they signed up for soccer and then they got good at soccer and it cost thousands of dollars a year for soccer. I can't send them really nice tweets about me saying that I changed my life and they give me a $300 discount on soccer. The mortgage company didn't take positive emails from people that we were impacting as form of payment. They only take money. So I was ready to give up because I wasn't making enough money. I had to turn my focus to things that could make money. And the problem is that those people weren't getting things that I was offering. So I cannot impact them. If I'm not making an income, it's impossible. So how do we make money? Number one, Typically people see this and they go, okay, number one, I can, I can make a product. I got to make a product. I got to have a service. Problem is you don't know what your audience even wants. What price points are they going to buy at how, if they, if I do know what they want and I know what price point, how do I sell it? I suck at selling because I've never sold before. So that's option one, not a good option. Option two, I'll just give away content indefinitely. That's not a good option. We just talked about that. So the thing I love about affiliate marketing, you guys can write this down. It's a line straight from the book because I've said it so many times. The thing I love about affiliate marketing is affiliate marketing bridges the gap between having nothing to sell and selling nothing at all. So instead of not selling anything, I actually get to sell something. I get to monetize my passion. And so some of the advantages there, again, there's a lot of mindset stuff because it's so important to get into that right, right mindset, but you get to start monetizing immediately. Maybe it's a hundred dollars. Maybe you make $100 your first month. I can tell you the difference between $0 in your first month and $20 in your in your first month is not $20. It is infinite. Might as well be $100,000. Because to go from making $20 in your first month to making $5,000 in your 10th month is so much easier than going from zero to 20 in your sixth month. It is so much easier. If you consistently are making nothing, getting to anything is going to be really difficult. But if you make 20 bucks, 50 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks in your first month, you can make 300 in your second. You can make a thousand in your third. These are how the numbers start stacking up. So you get to monetize immediately. The cool thing about it is it's pure profit. There's no hidden cost. You don't pay for the credit card processing. You don't have customer service. You don't have to fulfill anything. You don't have to mail anything. There's no risk. You know, if, if you promote an affiliate offer and it bombs, you don't have like, Shelves full of stuff that you bought that you didn't sell. There's no risk at all, and it teaches you how to sell. This is the big one. It teaches you how to sell. You get to do what I would call PTP. You get paid to practice, so you get to you get to learn how to sell. You learn what works for your audience. It trains your audience to buy. You know, you learn what price points are going to work. What what topics they're going to buy at, What sales strategies you get to use. You may find that maybe your audience. You send an email and you make one sale, but you go live and you sell seven. Well, then maybe next time as your audience grows, maybe those numbers will be two and 14, three and 21. And you learn, wow, I need to go live with my audience. When I go live, I sell. And so you learn all of these things that ultimately will impact you as you develop your own products, as you learn so that you go, okay, here's what I've learned about my audience. I've done five to 10 affiliate promotions and I've learned that my audience really I sell just as many at four ninety seven as one ninety seven, but at nine ninety seven they they drop off. So maybe your price point needs to be at four ninety seven, just for you know, just as a hypothetical here. I used I used some different subject lines, and these are the ones that got open. And I used this, I formatted my email this way, and I got more clicks. Okay, so we learned a few things, and I learned that when there's three topics in my niche, when I promote A and B, I sell twice as many as C. So you start to learn what your audience wants. So now that's a clue. What products should you create? What services should you offer? And you learn those things early on by doing affiliate marketing when you don't have the ability to create your own product because you really don't even know what they're going to buy.
0: Now, this is the ma- the major question.
1: Mm-hmm. Matt,
0: how do we learn how to become an affiliate marketer? Through How do we learn from the affiliate guy? Yeah. I know you're going to tell us, but I'm even all intrigued. Plug away, promote away. Yeah.
1: I mean, here's the thing. I would say buy the book and skip to step nine, but I have heard from so many people. Oh my gosh. I've heard from so many people. And by the way, if you go go to passions into profits, forward slash Omar, you can get the book anywhere. All right. So you can buy it on Amazon, Target. Barnes and Noble, Walmart, they sell books. I mean, we just sold a bunch to a tiny bookshop in Hamilton, Ontario the other day, I heard. So you can get the book anywhere. But if you go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Omar, there's a bunch of extra special bonuses there that you guys don't want to miss out. I won't explain every one of them because they'll be different depending upon when you go there. But anyway, passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Omar. I would not say skip to step nine. And here's the reason. I've heard from so many people friend of mine the other day, he's, he's up running about a $2 million a year company, 10 people on his team, you know, not huge, but still, you know, di- decent sized team doing over $2 million in sales. And he read chapter four, chapter four, step four is all about uh, turn, basically converting visitors into subscribers. So about how to grow your email list. He's like, Matt, you tell a story in there about your dad and you talk about creating a quick win and how to actually create a lead magnet and what not to do. And I read it and I went back to my team and we re engineered our lead magnets. They spent one day, they re engineered like five different lead magnets because I talk about it, it should not take you more than a couple hours to create a good lead magnet. If you take longer than that, it's too complicated. And he's like, So we made them really simple and then we put them up and we split test them. He's like, Our opt in rate went up over 40%. Now, what that means is they're generating 40%, almost half as or 1.5 times the number of leads. He's like, Matt, instantly. We should go from about a $2.1 million company to a $2.6 million company from that one thing, that one little thing. And this is a guy that's already doing seven figures. So don't skip to step nine. Don't skip, like read through the whole book step-by-step sequentially because you got to get the the base stuff down. But in step nine, I walk you through and I share an acronym there. I'll I'll just share with you real quick, Omar. Number one, that's called start. So you want to start affiliate marketing, the S- is to stop waiting, like commit to taking action right now. We're going to start doing affiliate marketing today. We're going to start monetizing our platform. Number two, you got to think, all right? So you got to look around. What could you promote? What would your audience want to buy? If If you're looking for ideas, look at your desktop. I've got my planner. We promote my planner to my audience. The lighting that I'm using, the microphone that I'm using, these are things that we promote. Look at the, what services, softwares do you use on a daily basis? You know, those are types of, if you're in a, If you're in a niche where it's physical products, you're in the gardening niche, go out to your gardening shed, look at all the products and start promoting those. The A is for apply. And I want you to apply to one program. You don't need a list of 20 things to start. You need a list of one thing. Pick the most relevant. The thing you just, you know what? I think this is going to be the thing that most people in my audience would buy. You only have 40 people. Cool. What do you think the two people in your audience would be interested in? Apply to that one program and then promote it for a couple of days. The R is you're going to recommend like you recommend to a friend. Recommend like we all do this, right? You go to a restaurant and we have an amazing experience at that restaurant. And we then tell 10 people about it. Now we don't create a whole marketing plan. You can do that later. Do that later. We talk in chapter 10 about how to get really good at this stuff. But early on, we just recommend products like we're recommending them to a friend. There's not a whole plan. Are we going to do this or some stealth marketing strategy? No, we just talk about them. We tell them how amazing the food was and how good the service was and how the ambiance was. And you got to try this. And I had this appetizer and it was unbelievable. So we we do that, right? We recommend like we're doing it different. And then the T, the last T is to test, test, test. This is the biggest differentiator between good marketing and bad. I tell people all the time, I'm not a good marketer because I'm smart or I've read more than anybody. I'm a good marketer because I'll try a hundred things. Only 30 of them will work. But here's the thing. I get to keep doing those 30 things for the next five years. So the 70 that didn't work, I did them for two or three weeks. I wasted $50,000 on those 70 things. Big deal. Because I made $10 million on the 30 that actually worked. And so... Test, 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 test different price points. We talked about that earlier. Test different offers, test different email copy, test different landing pages, different marketing methods, go live, do podcasts, do this, do that, try different things and see what works. And so the rest of the chapter, I talk about like how to get accepted into the affiliate programs. I've got scripts in there. I talk about like what, what differentiates, you know, affiliates who are kind of like doing okay versus those who are super excelling. I talk about why people buy, how to get over, you know, fear of sell- selling, copywriting, even had there's an exercise I share in there. It's a visualization exercise, Omar, that I walk you through that like puts me in the right frame of mind for writing copy or doing podcast episodes when when I'm speaking to my audience. Really a cool visualization exercise I developed about eight to 10 years ago that I've used every time I sit down to write email copy, I use that visualization. So it walks you through all those things, like how to sell, how to get started, all those things.
0: Thank you. Thank you for your time. It was an honor and a privilege to have you, Matt. Thanks and so much. you gave us almost an hour worth of knowledge that can change a person's trajectory, change mm-hmm. their life and their future generations to come. Thank you and turn your passions into profit. Thanks, Matt. Have an outstanding rest of your day, your week, your year. Love you, brother. Thanks, Omar. What if it D were? What if you took action and made it happen? It's has gone inside of your purpose. What if D were? Right now, you can make the choice to never listen to that negative voice no more. This prison to escape is our own mind I was trapped inside that prison all for a long time To make it happen You gotta take action Just imagine What if it did work?